0: You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone. From San Francisco, I'm your host, Zach Moore. I'm joined by fellow South Stands contributor Paige Van Horn from Denver. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by a very special guest. He's a renowned sports columnist for Cleveland.com, entering his 16th season on the Ohio State beat. You also know him as the host of the popular Buckeye Talk podcast presented by Cleveland.com, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. His name is Doug Maurice, the fearless leader of a three-man Ohio State coverage team, along with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird doing yeoman's work for Cleveland.com. You can read their coverage at cleveland.com forward slash OSU. And actually during that COVID-19 shutdown, Doug, Stephen, and Nathan have been doing daily recordings for the Buckeye Talk podcast to satiate our thirst for Ohio State content. We are especially grateful for their work here at the South Stands because without it, we would not have much to talk about. Doug, Stephen, and Nathan provide much of the source material, if you will, for this podcast. Uh, you can follow Doug on Twitter at at Doug that's at Doug, L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S, where you'll notice Doug writes in his profile, I rant so hard, I sweat through my pants. And with any luck, we'll be able to draw one of those signature rants out of you today. Doug, welcome to the South Stands. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you today?
1: I'm all of a sudden very nervous because what you just said was more professional than anything I have ever said on a podcast before in my life. And I already feel like I'm in over my head joining you guys. What are you doing here? This is like a this is a better podcast than I've ever been on in my life.
0: I'm sure that's not true. I, we take our cues from the Buckeye Talk podcast here at the South Stands, Doug. We're we're merely we're merely trying to emulate what you guys do over there.
2: Uh, and don't, don't don't worry, Doug, I'll bring us down soon enough. Uh, exactly. Oh, good. Okay. I'll hang with you then. Oh, yeah, my exactly. gosh.
1: Where's the screaming and the nonsensical rants?
0: Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Hey, Doug, before we get started, did you want to tell our listeners about the text service that Cleveland.com is providing for Ohio State fans?
1: God, you guys are a dream. Can I come on every week? Uh, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we did this tech subscription thing. It's like we send, you know, two or three texts a day straight into your phone. uh, News about Ohio State. We do a lot of surveys of fans. We do sometimes trivia questions. It's four bucks a month. And it's like if you like Ohio State football and you just like want to constantly stay connected to it, you know, I mean, it's like a couple cents a day or whatever. So people seem to like it when they try it. You get a 14-day free trial if you want to sign up. Just send a text to 614-350-3315, and they'll tell you how to sign up. You can try us out for two weeks.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for that, Doug. Yeah, I am a loyal subscriber to the tech service. Uh, For for the cost of a a cup of coffee per month, Uh, you can can stay informed. Uh, It's a great service, so I encourage uh, our listeners to subscribe. Okay, so Doug, you know, before we dive into the X's and O's today, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't first acknowledge the demonstrations against racial injustice and police brutality in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy that are happening all over the globe, and the impact of those events on Ohio State players, many of whom, as we all know, are African American. Uh, We know that several current and former Buckeye football players are using their platforms to raise awareness around racial injustice. Uh, Current Ohio State defensive tackle Tommy Togiai organized a demonstration of 2,000 people in his hometown of Pocatello, Idaho. We know that former Ohio State star Michael Thomas organized a powerful Black Lives Matter video featuring many of the NFL's biggest stars demanding the league recognize the Black Lives Matter movement. Doug, you wrote a very thoughtful piece on this topic recently for Cleveland.com entitled, If You Watch the Ohio State Buckeyes, Then Hear These Ohio State Buckeyes. You also wrote a second piece, which just landed on cleveland.com today with Gene Smith's thoughts uh, on this particular topic. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about both pieces? And maybe you can speak a little more broadly about the ripple effect of the George Floyd tragedy uh, on college football right now.
1: Yeah. So this is one of those things where I think it. uh, I'll honestly say that I am often in a couple of these pieces sort of writing to a white Ohio state fan who maybe like totally isn't on board with this stuff Mm -hmm. and maybe you know just doesn't or or just doesn't want to have this kind of thing like interfere with their football because there are people out there like that for sure and Mm -hmm. I just I keep you know not everybody agrees on stuff right so um the thing that I just I think is so important is and why it's you know, it is worth writing about. It is worth talking about. It's because this matters to the guys who play for Ohio state. Yes. Like that is undeniable. Mm-hmm. About 70% of the scholarship football players for Ohio state are black. Um, the AD is black. The president of Ohio state is black. The You know, like that, but this is, they care about this and this affects their everyday life. And so, it it to me is not really about you know if you want to support them great if you disagree of course people disagree on things but man you just you at least have to understand this matters to them and when anything if you what other issue has ever caused ohio state football players to come together and and gather you know 20 guys and make a video what has ever caused them to get together and and hold their own little protest and kneel for 9 minutes you know like mm-hmm. I get it that sometimes people just don't want to think about this stuff when they want to think about sports because sports is a, an escape for a lot of people. And I think that's, that's okay. That's so, so, but you just, you can't, I think it's disingenuous to dismiss it or ignore it or just say, I don't care about that because you do care about them. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you care about the Ohio state football players. And this matters to them. So if you don't want to, you know, support it or whatever, you don't have to, but I really do think you owe it to them to at least try to understand where they're coming from, because this really matters to them. And if you care about them on Saturday, I think you should at least listen to them the other six days of the week.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I personally couldn't consider myself a true fan if I were unable to support these athletes in the fight against racial injustice. And, and I applaud these young men for using their voices and their platforms to raise awareness around this issue. To me, this feels like an inflection point in our history as a country. I mean, this feels different. It, it seems we might be on the precipice of some real change here. I mean, that's certainly my hope. And yeah, I, in your piece today, in your interview with, uh, with Gene Smith, you had questioned, okay, well, we're not playing games now. So what's what's it going to be like when the games start and we start seeing these protest players taking knees, I don't know, maybe writing things on armbands or sweatbands or shoes. How are fans going to respond to that? I am hopeful that Ohio State fans will step up here and be supportive. Uh, Maybe I'm a little naive, Pollyannish, but that's my hope. Paige, did you have any? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah,
2: I actually do. Um, So I'm curious, Doug, so you know, you kind of look around the college football landscape and you know what's going on in Clemson and in Iowa. I, I'm curious. Do you do you feel like Ohio State is out of he- out ahead of this a little bit, and you know perhaps even taking the leading role when you see what's going on in some other you know institutions around, uh, you know college football in general.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think they are, and I think it I think it does come, from a genuine place. You know, there's some of the stuff. You know, we get. Tech subscribers and some people ask, like, oh, is this going to be like a recruiting edge for Ohio State if Dabo Sweeney is not addressing this as well as Ohio State is? And that's kind of like, I don't I don't know. I don't really want to talk about, you know, yeah. I, like that's not why you would do it to get a recruiting right. edge. But it does feel genuine. But let's all remember, you know, that that when this all sort of happened the first time around with Colin Kaepernick and there were sort of some sporadic uh, protesting here and there. A couple college players kneeled here and there. Some raised a fist. You know, eh, there wasn't much going on at Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State was like super on board with that at that time. Hmm. But right now, they are certain they listened. What I'm asking fans to do, it, it feels like Ryan Day and Chris Holtman and Gene Smith and they listen to the players and it's all been player driven. But Part of the point, the thing I wrote with Gene today is like, I think we have to acknowledge that it's player driven and it's black player driven. And that I don't like when everybody, I think sometimes white sports writers, it's very easy to write about the white people supporting the black players. It's like, listen, the black players are living it. Yeah. They started this great. I understand you need white allies in this, but let's not focus on the white allies. Let's focus on the dudes who carry this around every day and, and have something they can tell all of us. So, like, I, I'm, on I'm, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't want to just, like, give Ryan Day and Chris Holtman, like, good for you. I get it. You know, <laughs> great. Let's talk about the players who really push this. Yeah. But when you do see other programs not listen as well, not be as open to it, not react with the same kind of empathy or whatever, you do realize, yes, that does matter, and it does feel like the power structure at Ohio State, the adults, the guys who are making money off this, yes they have listened to their players they have allowed those players to have a voice and unfortunately not every single school has done that on the same timetable and to the same degree
0: okay i guess before we get to the really fun stuff we do have one other topic to discuss and that's the uh the COVID 19 elephant in the room it seems as though we just cleared two major hurdles though on the path to an on-time start of the 2020 college football season Outgoing Ohio State University President Michael Drake announced last week that in-person classes for the fall semester will commence on August 29th. That's one hurdle cleared, uh, one would think. And then on Monday, Sports Illustrated reported that the NCAA Division I Football Oversight Committee is expected to approve a six-week preseason practice plan to help schools prepare for the coming season. Now, under that plan, Ohio State would begin required workouts without football equipment on July 13th, followed by walkthrough practices on the 24th of July, and then the traditional fall camp would begin August 7th. And we know that as of this Monday, Ohio State football players began participating in voluntary workouts while observing proper distancing and hygiene guidelines, which were laid out actually in a really good piece by Nathan Baird last week on cleveland.com. Go check it out if you haven't already. So Doug, as we sit here today on June the 10th, do you believe we'll have it on time start to the 2020 college football season? And if so, how different will it look this year compared to a normal season?
1: Uh, you know, all of this is still speculation, obviously in a lot of ways. Um, I'm still a little skeptical of on time. I'm really come have come around to something mm-hmm. to some kind of season with limited fans is where I would land. you know, whether that do I think if I had to guess, will they play the full twelve game schedule as planned right now? Just a guess. My guess is kind of like, no. Wow, okay. but. My whole point on this, but that's only speculation. The thing that was a big thing to me, and we saw when we talked to Gene Smith a couple weeks ago, we've seen all of college football come around on this. And and you made a very good point, Zach, the idea of on-campus classes. Some degree of on-campus classes was a necessity for this. The whole world can't be online and only have amateur football players be there in person. That's not going to happen. right? But you could see that college's we're starting to prepare for some on-campus activity. So Mm -hmm. as long as you had some, and Gene told me that several weeks ago, as long as there's kind of something going on on campus, we'll probably be okay. It feels like to me college football is in line with society right now, which is like, well, I guess we'll open up. But there's the giant, it hangs over everything we do. It hangs over restaurant openings and gym openings and and everything that's happening in America (laughs) is as long as it doesn't get a lot worse when we reopen. So I felt like there was a time when college football was not in line with society that maybe they were like going to be more cautious than other things. But like here in Ohio, everything's starting to open up in, in various stages and various degrees. And so, you know, as long as it doesn't as long as the numbers don't jump up to a terrible degree, I think football will continue, right? They'll, yeah. they'll do this. They have a plan and that's great. I just don't I mean can any of us say that like you're you're 100% certain that's not going to happen I mean we could be in a situation in September where a whole lot of stuff is shut down again so yeah. that's a caveat to the world though right? right so I just think college football right now is in line with the rest of this of society which is plan for something be cautious with the understanding that we may have to pull back
2: if the numbers go back up Okay. So, so who was it? Very recently was it Old Miss that just said, "Hey, we're playing football and we're going to have full stadiums." So one of the things that we, you know, were speculating on a couple of weeks ago, Doug, was you know not having this. You know, the NC two A really doesn't have the jurisdiction to say, "Hey, we're all going to play by this same rule." So what if you know schools in the South or you know Pack twelve just says we're not playing, or there's completely different rules across the board. How that could impact the upcoming season. Yeah, certainly at the
1: beginning of this, I just thought it, it was a reminder of how nuts it is that there's like no college football commissioner, right? Because like right. the NCAA <laughs> is the NCAA, but they don't even they don't run anything with football. They don't run the playoff. Why doesn't why doesn't the playoff committee and that kind of why doesn't, doesn't that expand to be a true commissioner who runs stuff or at least has the the you know the power 65 teams all on board on things, but they're just not even close to that. Right. And I think that's nuts. And I've asked Ryan Day and Gene Smith a lot of questions about that. That's nuts. But since then, I have a little bit come back around on. I almost think it's more likely that we're going to have at least some football because there's right. not uniformity. Because the virus is not uniform. Right. The virus right now, it's going down in New York, but it's going up in Arizona. So college football is now almost unique in that it's like, well, you know, I thought it would be nuts the idea of, well, what if like Rutgers isn't ready, but everybody else is, well, then yeah. you can't go. And then Gene Smith was like, well, why would, it, why would we all have to wait or not have a season just because one team's not ready, which sounds nuts to me <laughs> because the NFL would not say, well, everybody's ready except for the Steelers. So we're going to go. Right. Right. But actually it increases the chances of Ohio state playing because you don't have to go 130 for 130. Right. With FBS teams. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. You can play with 119. You can play with some teams having full stands, some teams having reduced, some teams having none. Because it's so individual, so conference-driven, there's not a national plan. It actually gives you a little more flexibility because the virus is local. We look at it nationally constantly, but every – what what some states are experiencing now is completely opposite of what other states are experiencing. So college football is actually almost designed to handle that, even though I think it's stupid. <laughs> I actually think it's yeah. maybe right at the moment a little advantageous in, if, if your goal is something. Because yeah. they're willing. It's not all or nothing, right? I mean, the NFL would not go with with 23 teams. It's all or nothing. Yeah. College football is not all or nothing, which increases the chances of something.
2: Yeah, you're, it's a great point. In a perverse way, it's actually it, it could help them. Yeah, in the likelihood of a season, it is perverse.
1: You use the word. We all use the word perverse with the NCAA a <laughs> yeah.
0: lot, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there was a question from one of one of the other South Stand's contributor, Tim Gallagher, uh, kind of related to this very topic. He said, "If it's a national, if if a national championship is even played this year." And and we're talking about some kind of truncated season or where certain regions are playing and others aren't, it, will it have an asterisk, uh, given that you know most schools aren't playing full schedules or some aren't playing at all? I mean, w- what do you think about that notion? Doug? Yeah,
1: I, I was very uh, – we talked about this on Buckeye Talk to some degree, and it's like I was very anti-asterisk because, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. Is, is Bama playing? Clemson playing. I mean, there's only like seven teams that matter anyway. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's like, oh no, the Pac-12 canceled their season. It's like, I don't know. Does the Pac-12 even make the playoff ever? Who cares? Oh, yeah. So, um, I you know, and if it's like, oh, if it's ten games instead of twelve, or it's, I think there, I think we could end up again. Pure speculation. We could end up in a world where the playoff is adjusted too. That it's like, and and, and again, to go double back on the point, it's already not uniform. The SEC plays eight conference games. Mm-hmm. The Pac twelve and the Big Twelve and the Big Ten play nine, right? I mean, Alabama plays the Citadel in week eleven before its rivalry game. Ohio State plays Penn State the week before the so I, I don't know. I mean, it's already not uniform. So I don't know. why would you put an asterisk on something just because <laughs> it's point. not uniform. You get to put an asterisk on every college football season ever? Yeah, they don't have any rules. Everybody does what they want,, and again, <laughs> which actually might work out this time. Yeah. yeah, I guess I guess
0: every national championship in the history of the game has been kind of a mythical national championship right Uh, because uh,
1: there's no uniformity all right ohio state has two fake national titles they claim eight they only really won six yeah the the,
0: the 70 national championship and one other right
1: 61 yeah 61 like whatever it's all fake it's all made up who cares just play football all
0: right well let's get to the fun stuff here doug page and i are really eager to pick your brain on the fortunes of the 2020 ohio state buckeyes if you'll indulge us as tempting as it is to start with Justin Fields and what many expect will be a record-setting offense, especially in the passing game. I know I feel that way. I want to start with the defense because I, I think we might all agree it's on that side of the ball where most of the major questions reside. Now, defensively, last year, Ohio State, the Ohio State defense finished in the top five of pretty much every defensive statistic that mattered. Number one nationally in total defense, defensive yards per play, passing yards allowed, pass efficiency defense, third and sacks, second and tackles for loss. However, Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, Damon Arnett, Malik Harrison, Jordan Fuller, Davon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, Robert Landers are all gone and with them, all of that production. I think even the most optimistic fan would have to expect some level of drop-off in 2020. Doug, how would you advise Buckeye fans on what to expect from the defense this year? Do we put our faith in the way Ohio State has recruited and the player development track record of coaches like Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs? Um, or is there reason to be concerned about a significant drop off on that side of the ball this season?
1: I think there is reason for concern, but I do think the one thing people have to do is like wipe out 2018. It's not 2018 level concern. It's not give up 50 to Maryland. <laughs> it's not what in God's name is Greg
2: Schiano doing <laughs> level of concern. So, so I have to interrupt you, Doug. <laughs> I have said Multiple times that I am waiting for a Ken Burns, and I think you're the man for the job, documentary <laughs> on what the hell went wrong with Greg Schiano in 2018. <laughs> it could be a 30 for 30, or it could be a six-part miniseries on that defense, and I still... And searching for answers. So sorry to cut you off. No, I, Like, I, I want to
1: read it or watch it. I don't know if I want to try to dig into it, though. Oh, my God. That guy, you can't get anything out of that guy anyway. I, I've always theorized that was the year they went to 10 assistant coaches, and Shiana was, like, no longer the safeties coach. He was just the defensive coordinator. So he didn't have a group of guys to be in charge of anymore. Mm. And I think he schemed himself into oblivion. I think he had too much time on his hands. <laughs> yeah. And so because you watch that and it's like, well, what are we going to do? It's like, let's put tough Hamilton or tough Corland right over the center. And it's like, there's nobody in the middle of the field to cover a crossing route. What are you doing? Um, so I do think the thing that I have said a couple of times is, we saw the evolution of Ohio State defensive ends. I think Chase Young was like the final step in the evolution of Ohio State defensive ends. How could you be better than Chase Young? We saw the evolution of Ohio State cornerbacks. I think Jeff Okuda was the final stage in Ohio State cornerbacks. How could you be better than Jeff Okuda? Mm -hmm. So those are the two most important positions on the defense, and you just lost the two guys who probably maybe played those positions better than anybody in the history of the program. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. You're probably not going to be as good. Right. But, and I, I, I still, I kind of learned this lesson slowly. I've been, like you guys said, I'm entering year 16 and I always tell the story. My first year on the beat in 2005 was AJ Hawks last year at Ohio state. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they can't replace AJ Hawk. They are dead. <laughs> and it was like, James Laurinaitis was like, here I am. Can I win the Buckus award as a sophomore? And I was like, Oh, there's always another good player waiting. So there are so many five stars, top 100 guys from the class of 2018 who have not really done much yet, who are waiting to play on this defense. You can run through it. It is across the board at every position, and they're just waiting. So most schools would kill for the backups, the third-year guys Mm -hmm. who haven't really done anything yet that are getting ready to play on this defense. But... I think it'll be a step down. And so, you know, does it have to be a great defense for them to win a national title? No, I don't think it has to be great. Does that have to be good enough? You know, I don't think they have to beat, they don't have to be Clemson 21 to 17 in the playoff, but you also don't want to, you don't want to count on beating them 49, 48 Hmm. either. So again, yes, some concern, but too often people immediately could go to that 2018 defense that was probably the worst defense in Ohio State history. And it's not going to
2: be that.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and some fans kind of by contrast would then go to the 2016 defense, uh, at, you know, from all the losses of the 2015 team, all those NFL guys that, that left. And uh, Ohio State returns an excellent defense led, you know, mainly by guys we hadn't heard of before then, you know, the Malik Hookers and Marshawn Lattimore's, which would you say that was also a bit of an outlier that maybe would, that's maybe expecting too much out of the situation?
1: I mean, it's – again, except that's what does happen here. But the idea that both Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker went from like, eh, I don't know, to first-year starters, to first-team All-Americans, to top half of the first-round NFL picks is like ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But – so I'm not counting on that, but could Seven Banks and Josh Proctor do a version of that? Sure, absolutely. And could that defensive line – that's a great comparison because that defensive line – you know Nick Bosa's a freshman, mm-hmm. but Nick Bosa, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes—none of them that year are Joey Bosa or Chase Young level. True. but between the four of them rotating constantly, they were pretty stinking good. So could Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Javante Jean Baptiste, Jonathan Cooper, Tyler Friday? Could they be that? Yeah, true. Sure. Could be that. Yeah, none of them I don't think are going to be Joey Bosa or Chase Young this year. But could it be a version of that? So nobody. Thought that was going to happen. I remember very vividly that going to Oklahoma. They win that Oklahoma game on the road, and guys like Sam Hubbard coming down and telling us like, "You guys didn't believe it," Uh, you know, which is what everybody says when (laughs) everybody has a chip on their shoulder. All the haters, I get it. That's a good story. Yeah. So I'm not counting on that, but it it is certainly possible. And again, you can run through the guys: to Roger Mitchell, Josh Proctor, Seven Banks, Cam Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, Kavon Pope, Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, Zach Harrison, Tyre—I mean—they're all over the place, and it's like, oh, who's that guy? He's the 71st best recruit in the country. Who's that guy? He's the 33rd best recruit in the country. Who's that guy? He's the eighth best recruit in the country. They just haven't done it yet, right? So I think my guess is somewhere between that, right? Somewhere between, you know, bad and a couple All-Americans popping up out of nowhere. But I think probably in the end, you can be you know, somewhat confident that the defense will be good enough for them to do what they want to do. Okay.
0: We, we did a position-by-position position breakdown for the 2020 season on this podcast a couple of months ago. And in that pod, there seemed to be very little faith in the one position group returning the most experience, and that's at linebacker. With Tuff Borland, Pete Warner, Baron Browning, there seemed to be more faith Uh, In the unknowns of the Ohio State defense, for example, you mentioned him earlier, Teron Vincent emerging from injury to fulfill his promise as a five-star prospect at defensive tackle, or Josh Proctor making that leap from role player to a star at deep safety. Doug, are we not giving the linebackers their due credit here, or or is there good reason to question whether there's enough playmaking there uh, for Ohio State to make a playoff run?
1: Uh, probably not enough credit. I think it is a thing. It's interesting to me how recruiting rankings still linger with fans. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a point if you are a highly rated recruit and you haven't really played yet, people are still curious and excited about you. Right. Right. If you're a highly rated recruit and you have played and you weren't a star, people are like, well, that guy, forget that guy. Right. And if you were kind of like a moderate recruit, who's a solid player, which is like what tough Borland and Pete Werner are, you're kind of like boring and people aren't that interested. So, you know, I, I said on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think Pete Werner might be the most confusing player I've covered in 15 years. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's awesome, not that good kind of in between is he little, is he tough? Is he a coverage guy? Is he a run stopper? And, He's going to be a three-year starter. I do you know. know how hard it is to be a three-year starter on Ohio State's defense? And I think if you ask the average Ohio State fan, is Pete Warner good? I don't know. It would be like less than fifty percent would say yes. But yeah. that guy, and and I've written, you know, you guys know. I think Bill Davis stinks,
2: right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we everybody all do. knows that, right? Okay,
1: everybody hates. <laughs> Al Washington, we think Al Washington's yeah. good. Al Washington didn't come in and, and say, hey, mm-hmm. Dallas Gantt, Pete Werner's taking your job. Pete Werner was a starter for Bill Davis and was a starter for Al Washington. Al Washington had no loyalty. Greg Madison had no loyalty. They changed the whole defensive coaching staff, and all the new guys came in and said, yep, still Pete Werner. So I don't know. I assume they know more than I do. I didn't assume that Bill Davis knows more than I do. (laughs) I assume these guys know more. So I get it. But then also, I mean, if you listen to our our podcast, Stephen Means thinks Baron Browning is going to have 74 sacks this year. So it's like they, Stephen and Nathan, I love, I've loved Baron Browning and I've wanted him to move outside for two years. And somehow Nathan and Stephen both think Baron Browning is going to be the big 10 defensive player of the year. So that guy still has upside, but also, you know, you're a senior now. So I don't know. You know, he's been miscast. He's been out of place. I think he has suffered from not having Luke Fickle as his coach. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think he's going to be more comfortable than he's ever been. He's going to rush the passer a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think Baron Browning will be better than he's ever been. I don't know that Baron Browning is going to go from, you know, okay to an All American as a senior, but I do think the linebackers again will be good enough. You don't have to have the part of the reason is, and I'm babbling. You cool. guys know this. There are just positions that, I mean, ask an Ohio State fan, who, well, who are they comparing these linebackers to? Well, they're yeah. comparing them to Ryan Shazier. Mm-hmm, and they were comparing yeah. him to James Laurinaitis and A.J. Hawk and Chris Spielman and Rayquan McMillan. And, Je- like, you can run down the list of, like, well, okay, there's no Ryan Shazier on this defense. It doesn't mean they're terrible. It doesn't mean they're, yeah. they're not good enough. But sometimes you can get caught up in the past a little bit.
2: Well, and we we were doing that actually on the running back position, where we're like, when Master Teague got hurt, we're like, oh my God, what are you going to do? And you're like, oh, woe is us as Ohio State fans that you know we might not have a five star, you know, top ten player at every single position. <laughs> what are right? we going to do? I mean, <laughs> that's almost the expectation that we have sometimes as fans. But I do wonder, and you make a great point about. When Davis left and Washington came in, the average fan would have said, "Yep, they're going to clean house, and you're going to see all these young guys step up." And it did not happen. And then it just makes you wonder: Well, if it hasn't happened by now, you know, can Taraja Mitchell or you know Dallas can't, you know, make? Why why can't they beat these guys out? And I think we all scratch our head about. Is Pete Warner actually, you know, watch him turn out to be a second round draft pick and, you know, have a hell of a pro career. It's crazy. It's really one of the more interesting anomalies of the of the team in the last probably three or four years. Yeah.
1: I, 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 sorry, go ahead, Doug. No, I just, I, I have trouble sometimes evaluating Ohio State guys because you end up evaluating them against their teammates. And it's like, well, Pete Warner's no Chase Young. And it's <laughs> like, Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of room between you're not Chase Young, but you're still good. Yeah. So, so it's like, are the linebackers? Well, there's not a top five NFL draft pick among the linebackers. <laughs> this year. It doesn't mean they stink. But their own, the team's own success, it's one of those things like a Pete Warner played for Indiana. Maybe when Ohio State was getting ready to play Indiana, we'd all be like, I don't know, this Pete Warner guy. <laughs> how's Ohio State going to block him? <laughs> and he plays for Ohio State. and Everybody's like, he stinks. So it is. It's weird. Ohio State. You can lose context yeah. a lot because yeah. how highly rated the recruits are, how good some of the players are, and so some some players who are really good, solid college football players can pale in comparison to the superstars, and it throws us off.
0: Yeah. Tough Borland is is an interesting. Uh, player for me because now we're, we're talking about a player who's entering his fourth season as a starter. Now, I know he didn't start the the whole 2017 season, but became the starter toward the end of the year. You know, here, here he is, a four-year starter at Ohio State. I, I actually went through the Ohio State record book this morning just for fun to look at the career leaders in tackles. Maybe this is an unfair thing to do to top one. I'm sure he's a really good kid. I don't mean to pick on him. But I went and I looked at the top 20 Ohio State's all-time leading tacklers Borland has 181 career tackles. It's unlikely that he's going to get to the 20th spot in the top 20, which is held by uh, Nick Bonamici, who was a defensive tackle in the 70s for the Buckeyes at 280 tackles. But I just—I guess my point is, going into your fourth year uh, as a starter at middle linebacker, one would think there would be more production there. How do you think Tuff Borland's going to be remembered after his playing days are over, Doug?
1: Not well, probably like <laughs> like unfairly, right yeah. but like, um they played him on one leg in 2018. he couldn't run his, right. his Achilles snapped and they were like, oh, he's his name's tough. he'll recover yeah. and it's like, do you understand what the human body has to do? He yeah. couldn't run. I mean, we've all seen it there I absolutely. When he was still coming back from that, I could have beaten him in a foot race as a mid-40s, terribly <laughs> unathletic white guy. And I think we all think of him still that way. It's like you can envision tough Bordland like chasing down a bubble screen and he looks like he's galloping and he has a hitch in his step, and it's like, why is that guy on the field for Ohio State? Mm-hmm. But they trust him completely. Yeah. They trust him to make defensive calls to make sure that they are in the right defense to make sure that everybody knows their assignment. And you know what they have usually if not 10 other fantastic athletes, at least six or seven or eight other fantastic athletes who can go chase the ball. Yeah. And if tough Borland's not chasing the ball, but he's making sure they're not getting screwed up, you know, again, we'd all love. I mean, who didn't love Raquan McMillan? Oh, I think yeah. Raquan McMillan is one of the great underrated players in Ohio State history. I, I remember agree. how still how mad Raquan was at the end of his career that he never made first team All American. How much do we love James? Again, we can run through the list of middle linebackers. I remember when people thought James Laurinaitis wasn't athletic, and it's like, yeah. man, if you think James <laughs> Laurinaitis wasn't athletic, I got a guy to show you um, right. in tough Forland. <laughs> but, but um, it's just. But the other thing is. You know, last year he was splitting time with Baron Browning. Their set snaps were almost equal. So it's like tough is a starter, but he's really like a half starter, mm-hmm. right? But he and Barron were very different. Tough was never in to nickel. He's never in a nickel situation. He's never in on pure passing downs. They always had, you know, Barron and Malik Harrison in or Baron Browning and Pete Werner in. Um, Taraja Mitchell, from what I've heard, I mean, I think Taraja Mitchell is kind of like tough. Mm-hmm. Smart, will get you lined up, not the world's greatest athlete. So I. D- you know, I think Taraja and Mitchell and Tough Borland will probably split that middle linebacker to some degree oh, wow. a lot okay. this year. But, okay. but I think Taraja is in the Tough Borland mold a mm-hmm. little bit, even though he was a more highly rated recruit. Um, but I just think it's one of those, you know, I, I, and, and he's not this, but it's like sort of like the JT Barrett syndrome a little bit. That right? again, oh, you yeah. look, JT's a winner. He's tough. He did the right thing all the time. But it's like you look at him compared to athletically to like, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields. And it's like, man, JT Barrett, he stinks. Yeah. And it's like, no, he didn't stink. He was a good winning player for Ohio State. Tuff Borland is not this linebacker, this linebacker, this linebacker. He's a good, solid winning player for Ohio State. And again, the year he looked the worst, he was coached by Bill Davis and Greg, Greg Schiano had him out of position all yeah. the time. And he was basically playing on one leg. He's yeah.
2: better than that. All right. Well, I mean, wh- he came back from an Achilles in seven months. I've never even heard of anything yeah. like that, right? That's crazy. In any sport, let alone middle linebacker. And
1: it tells you again what they think. I mean, they la- th- yeah. they think tough Borland at like 30% is better <laughs> than who they could have put on the field. Yeah. So, but again, the other thing is too, it's like, okay. And, and and that's why I think it's fair to do it. Like you mentioned running back this year. It's like, okay, well, I can go through and name you the five-star recruits at all these positions. You know, where's the five-star? Where's the chi- You know. Where is their Chase Young middle linebacker? Where's the guy that's like, holy moly, you've got to get that guy in the field. They just kind of haven't quite had that for the past couple of years. Um, But tough Borland, more often than not, I think does what they ask him to do and they usually win when they do it. You know, maybe he just needs to be athletic
0: enough inside a condensed space, you know, the tackle box. You know, he's got adequate quickness, strength and instincts inside that tackle box. And that's where they really expect him to make plays. And as you say, Doug, you know, they're, there are players around him and behind him that that perhaps can can run to the ball once you know once the play gets outside. So okay, well I feel he like loves I,
1: when they play Wisconsin. He is the Wisconsin <laughs> stopper. I'll but
0: I'll bet. <laughs> hey, uh, before we move on to the offense, any thoughts on Kerry Combs as a first year defensive coordinator?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I always think Kerry, uh, and I do it myself. Maybe this is the only reason I think it. He has white hair, so people think he's old. Right. So it's like, what are you doing getting this old guy running? The, he's not that old. I mean, we see the energy, right? But um, Ryan Day, Jeff Halfley did it too. A lot of these coaches that go to, for, to the NFL and then come back to college really emphasize that the NFL is like going to grad school. You're mm-hmm. all football all the time. You're not, you know, checking in on your players to see if they're doing their schoolwork. You're not recruiting. You're just doing football. And so for Kerry to go to the Tennessee Titans for two years and then come back. Um, this guy still is still as ambitious It's like he was a high school coach, mm-hmm. could have been a high school coach his, all, his whole life. I, I think he wouldn't maybe mind being a head college football coach at some point. Again, wow. I think he gets pigeonholed because he's a former high school coach with white hair and you should, and you sort of think to yourself, man, this old high school coach, he should just be grateful to be at Ohio State. <laughs> and Kerry Combs is like, I am good at this. Yeah. So I think he will be good. I think I think he's energetic. We know that. I think he's smart. I think he is a great developer of players. I think he has great relationships with players. We've already seen what he's doing on the recruiting trail with defensive backs. But again, when you're a coordinator, it's a different deal. So, you know, we've had a lot of discussions. Are they going to run a single high safety? Does Kerry Combs wanna go back to a two safety look? Again, I've tried to keep making the point. Of, well, it's, Ryan Day. it's what Ryan Day wants to do in the end. But I think Kerry will be good and it just makes it, it reminds me again. And, and you guys have maybe heard me make this point that I just think most assistant coaches are interchangeable. Yeah. The middle managers, to, I
0: think, is, is uh, the way you would,
1: <laughs> you know, you would which describe This is why him. you don't have to pay them a, a million and a half dollars a year because everybody thought Jeff Halfley was like awesome last year, right? right? When Alex Grinch got here in 18, he was supposed to change the world. He's only here a year. They get Jeff Halfley. Nobody knows who Jeff Halfley is. Right. He's great. Then he leaves everybody's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do without Jeff Halfley? And it's like, I don't know, get Kerry Combs. He gets, (laughs) you know, they get good assistance here, but I think
2: Kerry's good at his job. So we're going a little bit off script, but you brought it up. I I thought that was a fascinating article. And as I read it, I completely changed my mind. I was curious, what kind of feedback did you get from that? Because after I was done, he's like, you know, damn right. Anybody should want to be a coach at Ohio State. And are, are they missing the boat by playing this arms race? You know, with with the Alabamas and Clemsons. And I was just kind of curious overall, like, what was the feedback that you got from that article? Because I thought it was really interesting.
1: I appreciate that. Um, I, I never, none of the assistants like yelled at me and said, why are you taking money out of my pocket or anything like that? So I'm always ready for that. Um, I get some feedback of of people thinking I underestimate the value of assistant coaches, right? And mm-hmm. it's like I I'm not arguing that like what they do isn't important because we know they're in charge of their position group. That's the guy that you have the relationship with. They're, you know, if you're a defensive tackle, you might not hang out with Ryan Day that much, but your yeah. defensive Larry Johnson is like one of the most important people in your life. So I think there's a difference between saying like what you do isn't important and saying Lots of people can probably do what you do pretty well in this environment, and we don't have to pay you like your skill set is so rare. And it's just, I didn't get a ton of feedback on it, but again, with everything, what hangs over it is why we're paying these guys this when the players don't make any money. And Mm -hmm. if your players stink, it doesn't matter how good of an assistant coach you are, but assistant coaches don't. And 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 then every now and then people know the guys who are the the guys, the assistant coaches I didn't think were very good. I don't think assistant coaches win you national titles. I think assistant coaches can lose you national titles. So Mm -hmm. it's just when I say, hey, you know, anybody can do it. And then on the other hand, I say, well, Tim Beck is the reason they didn't, and Ed Warner are the reason they didn't win the national title in 2015. And then you say, well, then why aren't you paying them more? And I'm saying, well, it's because Urban made a bad hire. There were other guys out there that you would not have had to pay a million dollars a year who would have done a good enough job, just like nobody knew who Tom Herman was when he got here, nobody knew who Jeff Halfley was, nobody knew who Kerry Combs was when Urban hired him, nobody knew who Chris Ash was really, and all of a sudden, they become you know, legendary assistant coaches, but they came here for the opportunity at Ohio State, not because you out bid somebody and decided I need to pay an assistant coach a million dollars when really Ryan Day and Justin Fields are the guys who are going to win Ohio State a national
2: title this year. So. 100%. And and by the way, I heard today, Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa was making $800,000 a year. <laughs> that to me, like, I it's mind boggling. A strength and conditioning coach at Iowa, 800 grand.
1: It's hard because I think like the football people will tell you, well, you don't get it. You don't yeah. understand what a strength. Cause that's Mickey Marathi, right? right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you when you during the Urban Meyer era, if you would have said to Urban Meyer, you can have you get to keep one employee and everybody else is gone. He would have kept Mick, no doubt about it, because that guy is the coach of the offseason. That guy, those other assistants, they're in charge of their position group, but they're never in charge of the whole team. The head coach always hangs over it. When the rules say the head coach can't be involved with stuff, the strength coach runs your program for months at a time, which probably some of those guys may not be qualified or may not have the right temperament or mindset, which is what I think we're seeing at Iowa, to have that (laughs) much responsibility, Mm, right? So I think strength coaches in college football are very interesting but actually I think in a lot of ways they're misnamed because if you called them head coach of the off season, right. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying it was correct for that guy to make $850,000 a year, Mm -hmm. but I think they have too much power at times. I think they are, they're like a shadow version of the coach. I think at most places they are the shadow version of the coach, but Mm -hmm. like fans and maybe even the administration sometimes and like don't treat them that way. Don't hold them to the same standard you hold the head coach to. But yet when they're in the weight room, that guy is totally in charge and I I, I can see at times that maybe there's something wrong with that.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll start seeing changes to that role now with the environment changing Uh, you know, politically, socially, you know, with, with, with what's happening now around uh, you know, the, the George Floyd protests, I, I think programs have to be sensitive to that and, and, and what's being communicated in those, uh, in those settings. Um, totally agree. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Doug, we're mindful of your, of your time. And there's a couple other areas we'd like to get to. If you'll indulge us, I'd like to just have a quick look at the Ohio state offense. Now, I feel like there are far fewer questions here. So I felt okay about spending a little less time on the offense. However, I don't want to take for granted that Ohio State has one of the top two quarterbacks. You could make an argument the best quarterback in Justin Fields returning in 2020. Obviously, the fortunes of the 2020 Ohio State Buckeyes rest on the right arm of Justin Fields. He was the 2019 Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, a Heisman finalist, as we know. He threw 41 touchdowns, only three interceptions. Many believe he'll have the protection of one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in the country. Doug, your uh, your former Cleveland.com cohort, Bill Landis, uh, thinks Ohio State's going to have the best offensive line in the country. I heard him say that on The Athletic the other day. Fields will obviously have a bevy of talented receivers to throw to, including Chris Olavi and Garrett Wilson, who's going to be moving into the slot this year, we've been told. Some highly touted incoming freshmen, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jig. But, Doug, what are your expectations for Justin Fields in the Ohio State offense in 2020?
1: He has a chance. To have the best season that a college football quarterback has ever had, right? Because oh. Joe Joe Burrow might have just had it, right? Right. Um, I think Justin, at his peak, just has everything. Because I think he has the size, he has the speed, he has the arm, both in terms of arm strength and accuracy. His accuracy blew me away last year. Me too. Uh, he has the poise. He's just calm. He does not get ruffled. Um, He is going to have an even greater understanding of the defense and the offense and how, how he's attacking people. And again, I thought the way that he had felt like he was in control for a guy who just showed up in January and had one spring football season. I was blown away by I, I was giving that guy the benefit of the doubt and assuming bumps that, Weren't there, right. um, but I think he's gonna. I think he has a chance to be more dangerous. And I, and we talked about it on Buckeye talked the other day. I think there are certain guys, and I think Deshaun Watson had it, where you can simultaneously be in complete control, yet still be completely dangerous mm-hmm. on every play, mm-hmm. where there's no. It's not like boom or bust. It's like there's no bust. It's like completely solid, or boom. Right? right, And that's what I felt like with Deshaun. So I think, I think Justin Fields maybe will throw some more picks. I like quarterbacks who throw picks. I want him to put 50-50 balls up there and tell Garrett Wilson and Chris Lobby to jump over people. I want him to make plays down the field. I want him to be more dangerous and explosive in the run game and be, when I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to devastate you. Um, not maybe a, lot, a ton of called runs, but just kill people on scrambles. And I made sure that the other week I went back and rewatched the Penn State game, which was the last game where he was healthy. Mm-hmm. If you just have a picture in your head of Justin Fields, I would advise anyone to go back and watch the Penn State game before Ryan Day made the inexplicable decision oh, to have God. him throw that pass on fourth down, oh. which Ryan Day still will not know. I know. Oh. That, <laughs> I can't believe
0: it. I could not believe that. I could not believe it. Don't even get me started on that. Sorry. Go ahead. I Doug.
1: can't believe he didn't. I'm like I, When I pressed him on that, I was like, dude. That call, and he's like, oh, no, no, I'd do that again. It's like, what are you talking about? We saw a different Justin. Everybody knows that. And it it really reminds you, he had, I think, five runs against Penn State that were like 17 yards or more. He, if he he decides to do it, and I think he should, I think Ryan Day should help him decide it, if he decides to do it, he will demoralize defenses this year because – If your coverage isn't good, he'll pick you apart with his arm strength and his accuracy. And if your coverage is good, he'll kill you with a 15-yard scramble. I think that is out there for him, right? The complete total package, will he get there? How many of us in life ever reach like 100% of our potential? I think that guy has all the potential in the world. And its I wouldn't define it by stats. I wouldn't define it, you know, that – I would define it by what I think we all could identify with Deshaun Watson in the year when they won the national title game against Alabama and lost and they go back the next year and they beat Alabama and win. And it just felt like Deshaun Watson in the games that mattered the most had the game in his hands. Mm -hmm. And if he was your guy, you were like, I totally trust this guy to be in control, but also break their back and if you were going against him you thought i don't know how we're going to stop this guy yeah. and that to me that is the ceiling for justin fields is that deshaun watson wow. kind of aura and i think he has all the pieces to allow him to have that sky is the limit for fields no i totally agree do you think they'll they'll uh,
0: they'll limit his uh, his uh, his carries in the run game just given what happened last year and and the impact it ended up having the the knee injury in the playoff that that clearly impacted Ohio State's game plan against Clemson. Do you think a day is going to put a, a carry limit on Fields this year?
1: I'm like really curious because there's the right there's the the called runs in the run game. Are they going to run them on QB draws, QB power on third and three, and with no J.K. Dobbins, I think maybe he becomes more of a necessity on third and three hmm. in the zone read. If you are running that. Before, maybe in the zone read, J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields were equal threats, or maybe Dobbins was a little more of a threat. Now, in that situation, is Justin Fields the bigger threat, right? So is he going to take more hits there? I I don't know, but you have to let him scramble, I think. You have to – all these guys, a lot of times they want to prove that, like, they're a great passer, and he is a great passer. He doesn't have to prove anything. But I think he just has to make sure that – Ryan Day and Justin both have to allow him to make devastating plays when, when plays break down or you're covered, you're covered, you're covered, go. Um, he'll, he will destroy defenses that way. But I, that question, I don't know. I think it could go either way. I think they would rather not have to lean on him. And it, this gets mm-hmm. into a b- debate on how you good, how good you think Trey sermon master Teague, and Marcus Crowley are going to be.
2: That,
1: um, yeah. I, I would imagine Ryan day would like to, and will attempt to limit the called runs for him but I think you have to let him loose and have it in his head when you see it scramble.
0: You were a little lukewarm on the Trey Sermon transfer. I, I don't remember you being all that excited mm-hmm. about Sermon. I, I've been calling him a more than serviceable option, I think, at Becky To me, he compares favorably to Carlos Hyde. If you look at their career yards per carry average, they're about the same. I think Sermon at Oklahoma was about 6.2 yards a pop and, and Hyde left Ohio State, I think, averaging about just over, just about that, 6.1, I think. I think he'll be a more than serviceable option. If he's healthy, now that's the other thing. I mean, you look at three of the guys, three of the kids that'll be competing for carries at running back, three of them are coming off uh, serious injuries. Sermon and knee, Master Teague and Achilles. Who knows? I I don't know, Doug, if you have any insight as to whether or not he's actually going to be available. And then Marcus Crowley, also a knee injury.
1: What's Ohio State going to have in the run game at tailback this year? Yeah, no, I, that's right. And that certainly factors into part of my Trey Sermon idea is like, well, he was hurt there. And it's like Oklahoma said, I'll oh, be okay, whatever, but he wouldn't have been able to be in spring football, even if he had, you know, that's a hard thing to rely upon. Right. right? And I just think J.K. Dobbins was so good last year. Mm. Right. I mean, I oh, think he was devastating. I think I've, he was really good, like in some of that wide zone stuff, and just get out there and wait for the hole and then explode through it. And, you know, he's not. He's not Usain Bolt when he gets in the open field, and we know that Tanner Muse tracked him down. But uh, you saw when he wasn't out there. I mean, he—I just thought J.K. had really good vision, had burst through the hole, um, just really. And and I just—I'm not assuming it with these guys. No, and neither so, am I.
0: Yeah, neither um, am I.
1: You know, and when they last time they won the national title, they had Ezekiel Elliott, and yeah. so none of these guys are going to be Ezekiel Elliott. Nope. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think Carlos Hyde is is a reasonable, um, possible comparison, but as much as Justin Fields worked out perfectly, and I, and I don't mean to be like a stodgy old man about the transfer portal. It's just like, if you're Ohio state, to me, your plan at running back shouldn't be, we'll take Oklahoma's backup. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah. that's all like, I'd rather have Bijan John Robinson. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. and, and I think Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor as freshmen in 2021, I'd probably take that compared to these three guys right, right. now. So you know they fell down on the job, or maybe they didn't fall down on the. Well, I think they fell down on the job. I think they actually strategically screwed up some stuff with the running back recruiting last year, and they fixed it. I mean, to Tony Alford's credit, they fixed it now. But this is the hole. Yeah. Right, they're scrambling for Trey Sermon, and so you know, I I, I don't. I'm prepared to be like drastically wrong. And for Trey Sermon to like run for 1800 yards and point up to the press box and say, where's that dumb guy? He's an idiot. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. But no. I just, I, I would not underestimate A, how good J.K. Dobbins was last year and B, how important it was to the offense that he was that
0: game. Oh, I mean, he yeah. br- he put games away early. Uh, the Ohio State was able to break the backs of their opponents early on in, in many of those games because of. Uh, runs by 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 Dobbins, where he would he would pop off a long run, you know, in a in a game that maybe could be close, and that was all she wrote. I, I will say in in sermon's somewhat in sermon's defense that his last two seasons at Oklahoma, he played with probably the two best running quarterbacks in the country, uh, in Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, and he he lost a lot of carries to those guys. And there's no disgrace in losing carries to Kyler Murray. He was a transcendent player, the number one pick in the draft. So I'm hopeful. Maybe this is just me being hopeful as an Ohio State homer that that maybe you know Teague's a better sorry not not Teague but uh, Sermon's a better back than than uh, than we think.
1: Uh, and I think it's better for um, uh, Ohio State's better off having him, given the circumstance, than not having him. Absolutely. Right? I'd rather have it be Sermon Teague and Crowley than Teague and Crowley yes so and then steel chambers mixed in there so um but it's just again it's part of it is the comparison to what else you see and it's like how many five-star receivers do they have is it seven (laughs) or 16 (laughs) and it's like what's happening at running back why are you grasping for a guy that oklahoma didn't need anymore so (laughs) part of it is you 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 sort of
2: don't stack up in the comparison to your own other positions and then you've got that offensive line i mean yeah, it's, the options are limitless, except for maybe you don't have J.K. Dobbins or Zeke Elliott back there. But other than that, it's just an <laughs> absurdity of well,
1: If you had the Paris Johnson of freshman running backs on this team, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, what do you have at... What, who is, who's competing at right tackle? Well, we have a third-year guy who was the 10th best recruit in the country, and then we have a true freshman who the was best. the 7th best recruit <laughs> in the country. And it's like, who are the guys at running back? Uh, they were all ranked in the 300s. It's like, what is happening here?
2: So,
0: I don't know. <laughs> hey, hey, Doug, before I let you go, I know uh, we're running out of time here. We're coming up on one hour, but I wanted to get – an overview from you of the Ohio State schedule. Now, I know the cleveland.com team is breaking down the schedule. You guys are doing really great episodes, by the way, on on, uh, each individual game of the 2020 season, deep dives into all those games. Um, Just wanted to get an overview from you on the schedule. We know Ohio State's traveling to Oregon and to Penn State. They've got a pretty tough interdivisional matchup at home with Iowa. Does Ohio State have a tougher path to the playoff this season compared to last, in your opinion?
1: Last year was so weird. I mean, the 10-0 the and 0 was like a cakewalk, right? I right. Mean, and, and I saw, you know, I'm, again, I'm the guy who said they'd go 9-3, and three, so it's easy to say now it was a cakewalk. So I was I'm... on
2: board with that too, by the way.
1: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And as I say, you know who I think was on board with that? Ryan Day. Yeah. Oh, really? Because Ryan Day's like, oh, yeah. it's like, it's like Ryan Day, do you think that you'll be undefeated and in, in the playoff as a first-year coach? He's like, why would you put those expectations on me? <laughs> That's insane, you know? Yeah. Coaches like it when you underestimate them when they're starting off. Yeah. Um, it was just so weird last year that there was no test and then it was Penn State Michigan Wisconsin, Clemson. Right. I mean no doubt about it <laughs> their four toughest games of the year were the last four games of the year. And it took a toll. Uh, yeah, and it, it took and, a toll. On and and then it, there was a physical toll, there was like a oh, you know, and again they 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 got through it um but you I, I, there were more questions. I think we'll learn more about this team faster, right? Oregon mm-hmm. in week 2 uh, with Michigan State, Penn State, back to back in the middle of the year, like is not is not a gimme, right? Iowa, even Iowa, as early in the in the season as Iowa comes. I agree, I agree. Um, not a gimme, you know. It's Mm-mm. not Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana and Illinois and how you can sometimes get to a stretch in the Big Ten where you have like a month off, basically, depending what the schedule looks like. So I, I don't know that there's any like super looming trap. I mean, everybody knows what it means to go to Penn State. A lot of people have talked about well. If coronavirus means fewer fans in the stands, I think possibly like the greatest benefit, beneficiary of that would be Ohio State not having to go to the whiteout. Right. Yeah. Because I've always (laughs) said that, you know, I don't think Ohio Stadium is honestly that huge of a home field advantage. The greatest part about, the hardest thing about playing in Ohio Stadium is playing Ohio State. Right. It's not (laughs) like, it's not that the music is loud or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, Wisconsin. It's this the stadium shakes, and it's like, oh, what happens when you go to Ohio Stadium? When you go to Ohio Stadium, Chase Young is there. That's what's hard about it. So, like, but Penn State feeds off that. Everybody know. I mean, if it's it's like a gladiator pit there. So if yeah. that's not that, that'll help. You that's know, huge. flying across the country to Oregon, if there's no people in this fan in the stands, you know, that should help. So, mm-hmm. um. It's certainly manageable. I think it's a good, um, interesting schedule. But I, I don't think you know. Sometimes you can line up a schedule and say like, "Man, it feels like the schedule's working for them or against them." I think it right. worked for them last year, right? With breaking in Justin Fields. I think this schedule is kind of neutral and that it's there's some tough ones. You know, again, it's not, it's not eight tough games, but there's a couple in there that could get you. But I think it's the schedule won't be why they get tripped up. If If they get tripped up, it's because somebody got hurt. The defense wasn't quite good enough. The young receivers weren't quite ready. Something goofy happened, but I don't know that you would look back and say, oh, there was a schedule stretch that was impossible to manage.
0: Is there a game on the schedule we might be overlooking that has upset potential
1: for the Buckeyes, you think? Anywhere? I mean, it's like, right? Isn't everybody scarred? It's like, find the Big Ten West upset now. I mean, we only did like 70 podcasts last year about that. It's like, what's the next Purdue or Iowa? It's like, I don't know. Could it be Nebraska? It's like, no, Nebraska stinks. It's not Nebraska. Even though, again, I thought it was going to be Nebraska. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I continue to be, and we've ended up talking a lot about this team um, on the podcast lately, is Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I am intrigued by Minnesota right. in the Big Ten championship game. They're not on the schedule next year. Right. Um, but I've always contended that if you're going to lo- if you're going to beat Ohio State, beat them before the Big Ten championship game, because you're going to tell me that Ohio State's going to get to the Big Ten championship game. And they're Like, that's where they're going to screw up. And again, we know what happened in 2013. Right. Um, so, yeah. And maybe you guys heard. I mean, the, the, the not to get ahead of ourselves, the game that jumps out at you. People pointed it out. We were doing some stuff on the on the podcast this Wednesday. And which, so we were talking about it. In 2021, they open at Minnesota on a Thursday night. Oh,
2: I didn't know that.
1: Wow. The first game for the new quarterback taking over for Justin Fields is yeah. at Minnesota on a Thursday night when Tanner Morgan should be a fifth-year senior starting quarterback for Minnesota. That's next season. And then, that's next that's season, next and then Oregon after that at home. And then Oregon. Woo. That Whether it's C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, or Kyle McCord replacing Justin Fields, Those are games one and two. Wow. So we already have listeners on Buckeye Talk and tech subscribers who are preparing for the defending national champion Ohio State Buckeyes to lose at Minnesota to open the
2: 21 21 season. So quickly, does Ryan Day win a national championship within the next two years?
1: I'm probably going to pick him to win the national title this year, right? I mean, I think last year – Um, I don't know that they would have beaten LSU. LSU, it turned out, was really good. And it's like if you thought they couldn't play defense, it's like, I don't know, would they like six defenders drafted in the first three rounds? I mean, like LSU, you thought Joe Burrow got there and like fixed LSU. It was like, oh, LSU had like 20 NFL guys on this team. They just needed a quarterback. (laughs) So LSU was really good. Um, Ohio State's problem has never been – I'm gonna say it. they lost 31-0 to Clemson and then we saw what happened last year. Their biggest issue is getting there, right? Hmm, yeah. If you if they get there, I mean, like you'll take your shot. The 16 team never should have gotten there. That was a nine and three team that overachieved and you got and then it had Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson them. But <laughs> in twenty fourteen, they were good enough. You know right? I mean, yeah. last year they were good enough. They were as good as yeah. Clemson. Oh, they just easily. didn't win. Yeah. So they just have to get there. So it's like if they just allow themselves, if they don't lose the game, you can't lose. You know, they have three seasons you could point to in 15 and 17 and 18 and say, man, I would have would have loved to see them get their shot. It wasn't yeah. that they weren't good enough to compete with the best teams in the country. It's where they didn't get they didn't get the chance to because of what happened during the season. So I think he will. I mean, I just because I, I guess I am going to pick them to win the national title this year, well, even though I have questions at running back in defense, mm-hmm. Um, I just think they're. Good enough. Clemson, actually, you look at you go through Clemson. Clemson lost a decent number of key guys, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Justin, Justin Ross, Ross injury. Yeah. At Clemson hurts. Alabama, I think, is almost more of a danger. They have a lot back on defense. People probably underrate Mac Jones. Saban's going to have them all fired up about not making the playoff last year. But bottom line, and I've said this to listeners for a long time, is there's nobody Ohio State should be afraid of. I, I, I hope as an Ohio State fan, you would never go into a playoff situation and be like, oh, my gosh, we have to. There's no, oh my gosh, Ohio State can handle their business. Doesn't mean they'll win, but there's nobody Ohio State should be afraid of because if they get there, they'll have a shot. And this year, I think they'll get there.
0: Wonderful. Well, Doug, we are right up on about an hour. Uh, I know uh, you probably have to get going. Uh, we want to thank you. We're
1: halfway done. We're halfway Halfway done. done. (laughs) I only, I only know how to do two hour podcast. Yeah. Well, Hey,
0: if you, if you want to give us some bonus time, we'll, we'll gladly take it. But uh, I know we agreed on an hour and, and we don't want to keep you if you, if you have to get going.
1: All I do is talk. I've forgotten how to write, but uh, but I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys get back to your lives. I certainly cool. have enjoyed it. Doug, thanks
0: awesome. so much. It was an absolute thrill for us to have you on, and we really look forward to your coverage uh, in the coming season. And we hope so. Hey, maybe
1: one day you might want to do this again with us. Anytime, gents. I had a lovely time.
0: You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye Football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.